You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Reds fans? My name is Jeff Carr, and you are Locked On Reds. What's up, Reds fans, and welcome into the Lockdown Reds podcast here on a Wednesday. Thank you so much for joining me today. I actually stayed up. I know I said I wouldn't, but I did. I stayed up and I watched the Reds game, and they didn't quite pull out the win in Seattle, although I did notice some good things. We're going to talk about those in just a moment. Make sure, though, that you are subscribed to the podcast on all the major podcasting platforms, whatever you're listening to right now. If you have not already done so, hit that subscribe button. Best way to get the podcast each and every day. Also, check us out on Twitter at LockedOnReds and at Jeff Carr with three Fs. And save the Locked On Reds line number into your phone at 513-549-0159. Tuesday, the Reds began their series in Seattle. It is the first time, and I didn't realize this, but it's the first time since 2010 since the Reds have been in Seattle. And it's fun to think about back in 2010, of course, because it was clinchmas and things of that nature. But in the pregame Reds Live show, they interviewed some of the uh, youngsters on the ball club. Oh, my gosh. I just use youngsters. Ugh. I hate that I used youngsters. Anyway, they interviewed some of the young players on the ball club, asked them where they were in 2010, and most of them were saying high school and things of that nature. That's that's just special. Nine years ago. I wasn't quite in high school myself. I was in college, still living in Kentucky at that time, down in good old Berea, Kentucky. If you have not been to Berea, Kentucky, you probably have. You probably stopped for gas there on your way down to Gatlinburg or Florida, something of that nature from Cincinnati. But that's amazing that they haven't been to Seattle since then. And so they kick off the series tonight with a late game loss. Trevor Bauer, though, looked very good. Six and a third innings. He only gave up. He had two bad pitches, and both of them were sent out of the yard for home runs. Otherwise, he had eight strikeouts. Looked like he was just taking it to the Seattle Mariners lineup. And early on, you wondered what you were going to see. Because in the first inning, he was taking guys to a lot of three-ball counts, a lot of full-count situations. And it was almost as something clicked in his head. Maybe Derek Johnson sat down with him in the dugout in between innings and said, yo, look, it's the Mariners. Like, just throw strikes. And he did. He buckled down and... Pitched a pretty good game. The Reds lineup reared its ugly head, though. There were plenty of opportunities where they had runners on base, and there were not plenty of runs 
scored. In fact, through seven innings, they had four double plays that they had hit into, two of which Jose Iglesias himself hit into them. And I tweeted at the time because for whatever reason, it was something where I I noticed that Iglesias was coming up, and it's not as if Jose Iglesias at-bats are must-see TV or anything of that nature. I just decided that I was going to pay some undivided attention. I might set my phone down, or I set my drink down, whatever I had in my hand. I was just like, let's just watch some baseball. And both times, Iglesias grounds into a double play. So I take blame for that full Full blame there, my fault. Sorry, Jose, you know, that's one of those things where <sighs> I take on the full responsibility there. But Brian O'Grady, with his first career home run, gave the Reds a lead. And I'll admit there was a moment there where I kind of dozed off. And then my wife came in to check on me, and next thing I know, bam, end of the game. Reds lose 4-3, to three, lose the opener in Seattle, which is kind of a bummer because you look at a series with the Mariners and you think, boy, this is a prime opportunity for the Reds to really get, get a nice series sweep and catch back up in the win column here. Not going to happen on the first night. Anyway, I got some more thoughts on this game, but anything you're craving, Postmates can deliver. They're the largest on-demand network in the United States and offer delivery from all the restaurants, grocery and convenience stores, and traditional retailers you could possibly want or need. For a limited time, Postmates is giving my listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days to start your free deliveries download the app and use promo code locked on that's l-o-c-k-e-d-o-n on the postmates app today's episode is also sponsored by blue chew go on over to bluechew.com and enter promo code mlb to get your first order free today you just pay five dollars in shipping here's the deal with blue chew it's not necessarily for someone who is having trouble performing maybe you just want a performance boost and as baseball fans we've seen plenty of players that that's what they're all about is that performance boost blue chew It's going to give it to you in a chewable form, which means it works quicker than your typical pill. And it also has the same active ingredient as Viagra or Cialis, so you know that it works. And through this introductory offer, you just go to BlueChew, B-L-U-E-Chew.com, and enter promo code MLB for your first order free today. Just pay $5 in shipping. On the BlueChew website, they have you... Fill out a questionnaire. Talk to a pharmacist via the internet. You don't have to go into the pharmacy. You don't have to have an awkward in-office doctor visit. None of that. It's all done through the website, and then it's shipped to you in discreet packaging, so there's no embarrassment involved. BlueChew.com. Promo code MLB for your first order free today. You just pay $5 in shipping. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. And we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Reds podcast today. 
You're listening to the Locked On Reds podcast here on a Wednesday. I mentioned in the first half that a bit of a frustrating game for the Reds. This is a series that you look at and you, and you really feel like the Reds can win it, especially having struggled the last couple of series that they've played. But they dropped the first game to the Mariners 4-3. to three. It was interesting, though, because early on, the Reds were getting some good at-bats from Philip Irvin. And Philip Irvin has really asserted himself this season against left-handed pitching. He's absolutely killing it. He's got 23 hits in 69 at-bats against left-handed pitching. Three home runs. He's only got six home runs this year, three of them against left-handed pitchers, which, you know, that means half and half. That's not that crazy. But overall, he's absolutely just killed left-handed pitching. And most people are starting to, you know, ooh, maybe, you know, a platoon of him and Jesse Winker would be a very competent combination there in left field. And I don't disagree with that at all. Just seeing what he has done, he had a triple in his first at-bat, and then he had another hit, a single in his second at-bat. And he's just had a really good year. And I've I've been a big fan of him really since the early part of last season. I feel like if he's given even more of an opportunity, he's going to flourish. But it just seems like the Reds have kind of relegated him almost to a platoon role. I don't know that they will ever give him the opportunity to be an everyday hitter because now we're coming into the the part of this whole idea of the rebuild where the Reds need to be all in, right? They need to know exactly what they've got come 2020. I don't want to hear about, well, they still got to figure out what they have in him whenever 2020 comes around. That's just, that's not going to work they got to know what they have. And right now, they know that they have a really good platoon option in Philip Irvin out there in left field. But it's interesting because I was looking at, of course, Philip Irvin was a first-round pick for the Reds back in 2013. And it made me wonder. I'm like, okay, what, what did that first round look like? What did the 2013 first round of the MLB draft look like? And where does Philip Irvin rank? And there are two clear players that are ahead of him from 2013. First of all, Chris Bryant. He was the second pick of the draft by the Cubs that year. One of the best players in the major leagues right now. I mean, it's there's really not a whole lot of explanation needed there as to why Chris Bryant has had a little bit of a better shake of things since 2013 than Philip Irvin. The other one is a guy that was picked after Irvin, and that's Aaron Judge. People forget Aaron Judge was on the board whenever the Reds were picking at pick number 27 in the first round of the 2013 draft. The Reds picked Philip Irvin. Aaron Judge ended up going 32nd overall in the draft to the Yankees. And those are the clear-cut ones in front of him. Now, this is also the same draft where you see guys like John Gray, current pitcher for the Colorado Rockies. Clint Frazier was drafted by the Indians. He's now a Yankee right now. 
and a guy that uh, we have talked about maybe the Reds could go after in a trade or things of that nature. Austin Meadows has had a really good season this year for the Tampa Bay Rays, but it's not as if he was super widely known before this year. Hunter Renfro for the Padres, you know, he's kind of been okay. He had a good first half of 2019, but I, I saw an article that, you know, kind of explaining his struggles here in the second half. So really, I mean, and there's name, other names on there. You know, you got like Christian Arroyo, Tim Anderson, guys like that. So Philip Irvin on that list kind of falls within that hodgepodge of names with Christian Arroyo and Tim Anderson and, and, and Hunter Renfro. I mean... Would you rather have Hunter Renfro than Philip Irvin? Probably. I don't know. That's one for you to tell me at the Locked On Reds line at 513-549-0159. But I myself, I'm not a super objective person when it comes to Philip Irvin. I just feel like there's something there. I feel like he's got the talent to really break out and be a great everyday player. I don't know. Maybe Philip Irvin, and I thought this early on in the season, maybe he's just Chris Heisey. And there was nothing wrong with Chris Heisey. We love Chris Heisey. He was a great fourth, fifth outfielder on some pretty decent Reds teams. But that being said, whenever someone went down with an injury and you got to see Chris Heisey every day, it wasn't as if he was just blowing the doors off of everything. You know, He, he wasn't setting the world on fire with his performances. He was just okay. And I think that's kind of where Philip Irvin is. He's he's the he's the quintessential fourth, fifth outfielder type guy. And especially on a playoff team, which is what we hope the Reds can be next year. But that's just kind of my thoughts. I, I was thinking a lot about Philip Irvin, especially after the triple. It looked really cool. He had a triple right down the right field line right at the rookie for the Mariners Kyle Lewis Kyle Lewis got his first taste of major league action tonight and it's ironic because Kyle Lewis comes from a college called Mercer University and he was actually at Mercer University at the same time I was I did a short internship there and covered their softball team back in uh 2000 and 14, and I think that was his sophomore year. And that's just me guessing because I'm, I'm not looking at it right now. But I'm pretty sure that was his sophomore year. But he was there. I mean, he was being talked about as a very high draft pick. And here he is, his Major League debut. He gets a home run against the Reds. And uh, at the time, it tied the game at one but he also had some fielding blunders out there in right field. Jose Peraza hit a double past him that he should have fielded a totally different way, and it would not even have been a double had he fielded it correctly. But anyway, enough of Kyle Lewis. It's just kind of funny. I remember that name, and I'm like, oh, hey, that, that, that kind of took me back. But uh, just thinking of Phil Irvin there, uh, good night for him. We've seen some good things this this season, but I think that his ceiling is a fourth or fifth outfielder. Anyway, that's that's the thoughts that were on my mind 
as I watch this game and as I record this now at one at past one a.m. Eastern time, quite interesting staying up for the hashtag late night Reds. We'll see if I do it again tomorrow. On tomorrow's show, we will have more Reds talk. I'm going to look into a couple of ideas for the offseason and expound on those. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you have not already done so, hit the subscribe button on whatever podcasting provider you are currently listening to. Also, check me out on Twitter at Jeff Carr with three F's and check out the Locked On Reds Twitter at Locked On Reds and save the Locked On Reds line number into your phone at 513-549-0159. The season is coming to a close, as I mentioned on the wonderful Twitter. These are the last, uh, last night was one of three. Uh, tonight will be the second of a three-game series in Seattle, i.e., only two scheduled hashtag late night Reds games left. Kind of sad when you think about it that way. But keep it here to the Lockdown Reds podcast. We'll keep you updated on everything Cincinnati Reds. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you guys tomorrow.